My name is Milian Mori and welcome to our podcast, Warrior Family. We are a family of successful entrepreneurs, visioners, hustlers, and leaders. We are compassionate, loving, fearless, and determined. We fight for love, profits, and a better world. And this podcast was made for future leaders, entrepreneurs, world changers, and families all over the world. We gained our wealth by running one of the best network marketing companies in Europe and successfully coaching and speaking empire. Our stories, tips will show you that everything is possible. And this podcast includes all the best sales, marketing, relationship, personal growth, and health advice you can get and interviews with the most successful people in the world. Our motto is, my business is not my family. My family is my business. And we are here to show you how to have it all. Hi everybody, this is Warrior Family and I'm Smilian Mori. Hi my friends, you're all here because you believe that you can create and live the life worth living. But in order to live and create the life worth living, we must do something about it. And the purpose within this show is that I bring you my friends, guests, their ideas, belief systems, habits, some hacks, tools, resources, that can help you create the life worth living. And today I have a special guest, Alex Sharfen. He's a co-founder and CEO of Sharfen, a training, education and membership organization for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Alex has dedicated his life to answering the question, how do you make business grow? And even more importantly, how do you help people grow. He is an expert on how to increase productivity, build massive momentum and actually enjoy your business again without feeling like you are neglecting your family or sacrificing your health and happiness. Alex is also a biohacker, entrepreneur, speaker and consultant for billionaires, Fortune 500 companies and some of the most successful people in the world. And I'm here in his home in Austin. Thank you, Alex, and welcome to my show. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Excited yeah. to be here. Yeah, I'm so grateful because you allow me to, to enter your space. Oh, this well, is, yeah. It's so much easier for me to do an interview in my house, so I'm yeah, glad you yeah. guys could make it out here. Wow, great. So I had a chat with your girls. Mm-hmm. They're 11 and 9 years old, and I have a daughter, Sima. She was uh, eight yesterday and son Samuel uh, seven. So we are not going to start with some business tips. Let's cool. start, let's start with the family because sure. I'm all about the warrior family is all about the family and how to balance this business and life and the family and relationship and marriage. So I talked with them and this is one of the things that I'm most interested in. What do you think about the traditional school system? Because they, <laughs> told, because they told me, because they, like, they told me that you are homeschooling them. Yeah, I think the traditional school system's broken, mm-hmm. fundamentally broken. I think 30 prisoners with one guard just doesn't work. <laughs> and when you look at how kids are treated in school and the, the amount of judgment they're subjected to, mm-hmm. and you know, especially here in the United States, I think school, schooling all over the world mm-hmm. is fundamentally broken. But in the U.S., it might be one of the worst first world education markets mm-hmm. that there is mm-hmm. because we actually have the stated goal of standardizing mm-hmm. people. You met my daughters. They're super mm-hmm. unique. Yeah. They're not 
going to be like everybody else. They're not going to end up trying to, to, you know, be like the rest of the people in their school. So when I look at standardized education, I think that's the problem. There mm -hmm. is no such thing as standard human beings. Mm -hmm. And what they try and do is get everybody to learn at the same time, write at the same time, talk at the same time, do everything exactly the same. And the reality is brilliant children develop over time and they develop mm -hmm. asynchronously. Or mm -hmm. in other words, they might read at one time, do math at another time, mm -hmm. understand something different another time. Einstein didn't speak until he was four, but when he spoke, he spoke in paragraphs. Mm -hmm. He didn't, he failed algebra twice. Like here's mm -hmm. one of the smart smartest people arguably in the history of the world mm -hmm. that couldn't fit into a standardized education. So the way I look at it is, is if your kid's having trouble in school, can't sit still, doesn't follow directions, isn't doing well with the teacher, congratulations, you've got a kid Whoa. who's an entrepreneur is going to change the world. Mm. Because in school, we sit kids down and we say, sit down, don't talk, stop moving and listen. And then when they're 18 years old, we say, get up and go do something. Yeah. And we, want, we wonder why they don't. And yeah. I think the reality is, is that school conditions us to be followers and to be mm -hmm. factory workers. Mm -hmm. And so my kids don't need any of that. They don't need any of that. So what do you think? I asked them, what do you like about homeschooling? And they, then they told me two very smart answers. Can you guess what they told me? Uh, my daughter Kenny's right over there. So what did they say about homeschooling? They probably Why said they that like... they like to do because they get to choose what to do themselves. Okay. No, that's not what they said. No. What did they say? They said we spend more time with our parents. Oh yeah. That was the first answer. Yeah. We see them more. Yeah. And that will stay with me forever. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You know, I talk to people all the time who say things like, oh, we only get so many summers with our children. And I'm like, so many summers. What a mm -hmm. depressing way to look at mm -hmm. having a child. Like, oh, three months a year, I get to have my child mm -hmm. with me because they're in school. My kids are with us every day, all day. You know, mm -hmm. we travel, we're together all day. Mm -hmm. um, they're here, they do their school. So yeah, no, I think for me, they were in school for about four months. They were in a traditional like yeah, public yeah. school. Maybe not, I don't even think they made it four months. But for me, one of the hardest things I did was putting them on the bus every morning. It was mm. horrible. Mm. And once it started not working out, we realized just how damaging it was. We pulled them out. But for me, it's, it's crucially important to spend more time with them. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I like having them around all day. Mm -hmm. I see them 20 times a day. And the average father doesn't see their kids at all all day. No. So what was the second thing they said? The second thing they said, we don't like to take orders from somebody else except no. our parents. There you go. We don't want to listen to advice from anybody else. Yeah. From teachers. Yeah. Well, here's, here's what happened to yeah. my kids. What happened to my girls, I think happens to a lot of younger kids mm -hmm. is that they realize that there's this person who's called the teacher that's supposed to be mm -hmm. all knowing, all powerful, mm -hmm. knows everything and present, often teachers are presented that way. Mm -hmm. And my kids very quickly realized their teachers weren't experts. Mm -hmm. Their teachers really weren't good at the things that mm -hmm. they wanted to know. They might have been good mm -hmm. at the curriculum, mm -hmm. but when my girls would ask questions outside of the curriculum, mm -hmm. they didn't get answers. Mm -hmm. And so they very quickly, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say they dismissed the teachers that they had, but they very quickly lost respect for the teachers that they had. And then they had a hard time going to school. Wow. So, yeah, I'm thinking about my kids, you know, where to send them. Should I send them to some high school and get your education, formal education, which I think that it won't help them. So, yeah, no, for us, the decision was easy. I'm very clear on, on where productivity and where success has come from mm -hmm. in my life. And... When I look at what I learned in school, other than a really good instructor, a teacher that I had, who's still a close friend of mine, I had a teacher 30 years ago, Rick Lara, who taught me speech. That was a huge game changer in my life. But outside of that, 
all of school was, a, for me, mostly a waste of time. Mm -hmm. It was trying to either figure out how to game the system or survive the system. Mm -hmm. But I never really was able to just deal with the system. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, for us, it was not a big decision mm -hmm. to pull the kids out mm -hmm. of school. Uh, so you are entrepreneurial <laughs> family. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give to some entrepreneurial couples, families, how they can save their marriage and family while they are chasing profits and, you know, all, all the success in the business? I think one of the biggest issues for entrepreneurs with their families is that we don't put enough process in place mm -hmm. and we don't actually set aside time mm -hmm. to make sure that we have a successful family. When you look mm -hmm. at a business, a business is cr create success by having the same processes over and over and over mm -hmm. again, the same type of communication, the same type of planning, the same mm -hmm. type of hiring. If you do those things well, you'll grow a very large business and be successful. Well, most entrepreneurs put a lot of time into those things and then when it comes to their family, they have very little process, very little systems, very little organization. Mm -hmm. We're the opposite. Katie and I have annual planning for our family. We do quarterly planning. We sit down once a month. We make a plan for the month. Every week we align and then we check in every day. And the kids are the same way. They have morning routines. They have their objectives mm -hmm. for homeschooling. They know what they should be doing. And so I think the key to having a successful entrepreneurial family mm -hmm. is making sure you schedule the time and you have a system and a process. Mm -hmm. Because People ask me all the time, you know, what do I do to make sure that my kids and I have a good relationship? Mm -hmm. There's one answer, time. Time, yeah. Time. You know, the, the way that kids relate to you and become, you know, more like you and understand you and ha build a relationship with you is through time. And so mm -hmm. any entrepreneur who's trying to do it without investing the time, it's not going to work. So is it possible to have it all? Yes. Successful business, yeah. uh, great marriage, family, time with kids. Yes. Great body. You are in great shape. Thanks. So how do you do everything? Well, so when you say, is it possible to have it yeah. all? I have a sign upstairs okay. that I had made for all of my groomsmen when Katie and I got married. And it says, you can have it all. It's a plaque. Mm. And the reason is that I think that far too often as entrepreneurs, we say, well, I'm going to exchange success here for success over here, or I'm going to neglect my family while my mm -hmm. business does better, or, you know, I'm going to neglect my body while I put my time into my business. And the reality for people like us is that if we're not creating momentum, we're losing it. Mm -hmm. And so you can build your business all you want, but if you get sick, it's going to get challenged. Absolutely. You can, you can try and go out and, and get clients, but if your marriage has problems, you're going to have problems. Mm -hmm. And so the way that you have it all is you create system and process and routine around the mm -hmm. things that are important to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, as entrepreneurs, it's interesting because we fight system, we fight process, we fight routine. But, but if you look at what makes you successful, it's going to be system, process, and routine. Mm -hmm. And people talk all the time about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm using willpower or I'm going to change this or I'm going to, well, willpower doesn't work. It breaks almost immediately. And by the end of the day, if you're trying to use willpower to get things done, it just won't work. But when we install habits and routine and process into our life and we follow habit, routine and process, all of a sudden we have a lot of willpower. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to have it all, you have to build systems and process around what's important to you. Can you, can you go a little bit uh, deeper with these systems and processes that sure. you have with your family, kids? You mentioned that they have their morning routine. Mm -hmm. What is the, their morning routine? What is your morning routine? What is your family system? You, you mentioned that you are planning every year, quarter and so on. Can, sure. can you elaborate a little bit? Sure. So we'll start with morning routines. Mm -hmm. So I have a written morning routine mm -hmm. and the kids have morning routines. They correspond because mm -hmm. I get up and I get a ton of stuff done. 
my morning routine, I can run through it kind of from memory, but I get up, I hyper, I clean my tongue, I hyperhydrate, I take the supplements that I take on an empty stomach, I do a meditation, a breathing exercise, I go outside, then I, I make a hypernutrition shake, I have that hypernutrition shake while I'm planning the day. When I'm done planning the day, I wake the girls up, and then their morning routine starts, and so they get ready okay. while I'm doing some other things, then all of us go on a morning walk. Mm -hmm. So every morning, every morning, I spend 20 to 25 minutes with the girls on a walk so they always have time always mm -hmm. they always know they can talk to me so if there's an issue today they know tomorrow morning we're going to be on the walk and so and at night every night I tuck them in so I make sure that I bookend the days I'm there with them in the morning I'm there at night because we're both in the house or all three of us are in the house all day mm -hmm. but we might not get individual time so that's mm -hmm. individual time when we're together mm -hmm. then um, their morning routines continue they eat breakfast they clean up from breakfast they go start their homeschooling on my side we get back from the walk I, um, I usually come down and work out. We can give you guys a tour later, but I have a full home gym and rehab center here. So I'll work out, do what I need to do as far as my physiology is concerned. And then that's where I start my work day. Mm -hmm. And when I typically start the work day. Typically, usually at around nine, between nine and nine thirty. I mean, it's hard to say when I start because I really start really early in the morning. Like when I get up between 4.30 and 5 in the morning, okay. I'll start doing, you know, some of the things that I need to do. And there's planning and there's stuff that happens in the morning before I actually am at my desk at work. Mm -hmm. But most days between working out, using the sauna, using our PMF machine, making sure that I've physiologically supported myself, I'm usually started by about 9. Right. And then we have a team huddle with everybody around the world at 9.30, 9.27. Mm -hmm. with your company team mm -hmm. yeah? yeah great so what about the the homeschooling does it work every day you have this routine and very disciplined kids or you are disciplined so yeah how, how, but how? I mean I don't you know here's what's interesting routine replaces the need for discipline mm-hmm If you follow a routine, everybody says, you know, oh, you're so disciplined. No, we're just following a checklist. You know, discipline is hard. Discipline is getting up every day, no checklist and saying, I'm going to do the right things all day. That's really hard. For us, you know, the kids, they have a list of things that they need to do. They know what their responsibilities are. Does it work every day? Nothing works every day. Nothing. But it works most days. And our kids, when they take standardized testing, they're way ahead of where they need to be. And Smillion, they spend maybe two to two and a half hours a day in school. That's it. Kids don't need more than that. When you go to school, well, when you go to school and you're there from eight until three, the reason you have to be there so long is they're catering to lowest common denominator. They're not, it's not led by the child. The child's not absorbing everything. They're trying to pay attention. They're not usually engaged. And if you can engage kids for two or two and a half hours a day in homeschooling activities, then that's really all you need. Then outside of that, You know, when the kids are done homeschooling, they're usually reading a book or doing a project or researching something. They don't really stop. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. So I don't feel so much guilty because I sign up uh, my kids for the Waldorf school. It's, you know, you have Waldorf. I know. Yeah. Wow, sure. It's a, it's a bit different than the traditional school system. Warrior Productivity Strategies is a free ebook you can download at www.warriorfamily.com. It will help you be productive, focused, and motivated. You will achieve great success in a short amount of time. What about the marriage? Do you have any routines with oh, your absolutely, wife? Absolutely, yeah. So, can you share this? Sure. You know, I think one of the biggest issues in marriages is that entrepreneurs just expect them to work. And I've been working with high 
producing high achieving entrepreneurs for over 20 years. And there is a distinct difference. The, those that have a happy marriage where they feel supported and they're engaged with their spouse are way more successful than the ones that are struggling with their spouse. And I think, you know, you can make any argument you want. Uh, whenever I say something like that, people say, oh, well, Elon Musk is successful and he got divorced. Okay. So there's exceptions to every rule, but when, when I look at my entire history of working with entrepreneurs, those that are happy with their spouse are way more successful than those that aren't. And so that's an investment that we make in time. So Katie and I align every year around a net worth goal and what are the objectives we have for our family. Then every quarter we sit down and we go over anything that we need to know in the next three months, what vacations, what trips, which major expenses, what's going to happen with our finances so that we are talking about it in advance. And because we're chasing a net worth goal, we eliminate the number one discussion or the number one fight most marriages have, which is money. Yeah. Right. And so we are always talking about money. We have our quarterly objectives. Then every month we sit down and say, okay, in the next month, what are the things we need to be aware of? What trips are we taking? What money are we spending? What projects do we have? And then each week we sit down and commit to the week. So I come to our weekly planning with what I have going for the week. Katie does the same thing. We share it with each other and then we look at where we can support each other. Mm -hmm. And then we check in on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that process, having a long-term vision for the family, then annual objectives, quarterly targets, monthly goals, weekly commitments, and then daily check-ins is exactly how we run our company as well. And, you know, I, I train organizations around the world to grow teams really fast. Like I work with entrepreneurs who have massive opportunities and need to build an infrastructure around that opportunity. We use that exact same structure for mm -hmm. that. Wow. So we show entrepreneurs how to grow their business how to grow their relationship, and then how to grow themselves personally, all using the same structure applied in a slightly different way. Oh, I like it very much. Yeah, it makes it easy. It makes so it how, easy. How, because you are in the business together, yeah? How mm -hmm. do you draw a clear line in the sand dividing the business and the family part of the life? So, because you, you talk business all the time or not you have really. this distinction? Not really. Not you know... I think that, so we don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that we like, we have a rule about when you can or can't talk business. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, we that no, nah, we don't have a lot of regulation around that, but here's what happens, Million, because we have times where we sit down in a line, mm -hmm. because we have those discussions intentionally, okay. it doesn't run over into everything else in the family. And so if I'm thinking like, oh, I've got to tell Katie about this. Well, I know that I have our morning check-in so that I'll be able to tell her. Or if there's something that I'm really frustrated with, then we'll just have the conversation and then we'll handle it in one of the meetings that we have together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've gotten to the point now, we've been doing it for so long where if there's something going on, we save it up for the next time that we're going to sit down. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you look at couples that don't have any process or any structure, and they work together, the business just becomes consuming. It takes yes. over everything. But when you in create bathroom, process, what was that? In the bathroom, bedroom, everything. Everything, everything. Like it, it becomes something that you talk about every time you're together and that's all you talk about. But if you create process and structure in a marriage where it, you both know what's going on, then it doesn't become as consuming. It's not as, it's not as obsessive as it can be. There is always this debate among men. Should I be with my wife in the business or not? Is it good or not? Many of them, they say, I don't like my wife being with me in the business, the same business. What do you think about that? I, I think, well, obviously I've worked with my wife for like 15 years. Yeah, and me too, like 20 years already. Yeah, and Katie is on a medical sabbatical now, so she hasn't been working with us for about three months. She took some time off. 
I don't think a lot of people get the opportunity to have a sabbatical at any time in their <laughs> lives, so she's doing that. She's actually coming back into the business right now, but when, I, when people ask me, should I work with my wife, or should I work with my husband, which I get both. Mm -hmm. You know, I work with a lot of women who are running businesses, yeah. and my answer is always the same. You know, working with your spouse, is one of the biggest privileges you can have in a marriage. It's one of the most incredible things that you can do. And running a business successfully, building a team, creating an effect in the world, you know, changing people's lives, it's one of the most spiritual and empowering things that we ever do. And when you can share that with the person in the world who's most important to you, it's game-changing. It's a complete life-changing event to grow a business. And so whenever somebody says, you know, should I work with my spouse? My answer is always yes because you chose your spouse for a reason. And now that's with some caveats. You know, if, if you're gonna, if the, one, of, one of the things I tell every entrepreneur, whether they work with their spouse or not, is I, I coach around two rules for entrepreneurial success. One, your marriage is most important, and two, you should be transparent in your marriage all the time. So transparency is absolute. You communicate everything. And if you're willing to make your marriage most important and tell your spouse everything that's going on, then you should work together. And if you create process around that where instead of like, oh, I'll tell them when I can think about it, but you have a system and a structure where you're communicating at the same times and your spouse knows what's happening, it can be the most rewarding thing you do. And I coach a lot of companies and they're all growing very fast, but the ones where the spouses are working together and they're aligned, those are typically the ones that grow the fastest. Mm. So I like it because I'm with my wife in the business 20 years and our relationship is great because of that fact yeah yeah so i think if you argue in your personal family life then it's hard to work in the business too and vice versa <laughs> well i think if you're arguing that's a symptom that's symptom. not that's yeah. not yeah. that's not who you are if you're arguing in your marriage usually that's because there is a lack of understanding mm -hmm. or there's a lack of acceptance or there's a lack of something going on usually it's just a lack of communication okay. arguments are usually spurred by one person's expectations not being met but the mm -hmm. challenge is a lot of times those expectations aren't communicated mm -hmm. so if you are communicating and you're talking and you're putting out clear expectations there shouldn't be a lot of arguments in a marriage i hope many couples that watch this show now will start the business together <laughs> no question <laughs> alex let's talk about the business a little bit uh, sure you have worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and you claim that there is one thing we don't need as entrepreneurs and you said we don't need more motivation no question yeah why well what do we need then well i so i don't think that entrepreneurs need to be motivated mm -hmm. When you look at our personality type, we come in a pre-motivated package. The fact is that you know most entrepreneurs are so motivated, they're looking for a place to put the energy that they have. They don't need somebody to help them get more energy. you know. And when you go to these events, and I have a really hard time with the people who help people set goals. Mm -hmm. When I go to a conference and the person gets on stage and says, hey everyone, we're gonna set goals. Okay, so write down the biggest number you can think of and this is gonna be exciting, blah, blah. And when that guy starts talking, I leave because that type of noise, that type of garbage, it just confuses me and it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. And we don't need to set empty goals. We don't need to be motivated into doing things. What we need is clear frameworks, clear structure, a process to actually put our energy into something that will grow. And I think far too many entrepreneurs are in this place where because of the marketing around us, because of the climate that we, we work in, they think they need motivation. What they really need is clarity around how to grow their business. And so 
I, when I, the way I look at it is if entrepreneurs have clear process and structure, if we have confidence in where we're going, we don't need motivation. When you need motivation, if you're not feeling excited, if you're having trouble getting up in the morning, I just did a podcast on this yesterday. Mm-hmm. If you're not excited getting up in the morning, if you're sleeping in, if you're procrastinating, if you're having trouble figuring out what to do, if you're not really excited about every day, you're probably self-sabotaging. And the reason why we self-sabotage is because we don't have clarity as to where we're going. So we don't need motivation, we need clarity. Yeah. We need to understand what's coming next and have confidence in it. And so the way that we work with entrepreneurs is, I mean, when, when people come into my conferences, I often say at the very beginning, I want you all to understand something. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not going to motivate you at all. This, you know, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to show you how to grow your business. And I want you to leave the motivational thinking at the door. Because here's what happens in motivational thinking <laughs> in businesses. Okay, I'll, here's, here's how I'll share it. When I go to a conference these days, I, I meet a lot of brand new business people. Yep never had a business before, they're just starting out, and I'll say, oh, well, tell me your goals, because I think goals indicate a lot about somebody. And Smillion, brand new business owners, never had a business before, their goal normally is to be a million dollar business. And if you ask them in how long? Oh, within the next few months. And if it's not a million, they wanna be a $10 million business. And the, the problem with that type of thinking is these big, huge goals that you have no idea how you're going to achieve, I know that that is how everyone thinks you're supposed to do it. It's garbage. Mm-hmm. We show people how to grow massive companies way faster than anybody else in the market does. We have more success growing fast growth companies in the past year than most companies who coach organizations to grow have in their entire like 20 year mm-hmm. history. Why? Because because we show people how to pull the target closer, set realistic goals, then use the innate motivation we already have to achieve them. Instead, the, or the argument that most people make in the market is set crazy goals, you have no idea how you're gonna get there, and then motivate yourself. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Yeah, so there is a huge difference between having a vision, these huge, big goals, and day-to-day operation and activities that exactly. you have to perform. So how do you build the bridge in your coaching systems, in, in your teaching? How do you build the bridge between the vision and the day-to-day activities? Well, that's like the biggest issue in business. Yeah. Is that today, business owners have been told for far too long that the way to grow a business is to have a really big vision and then work on it every day. Well. If you're not crazy yet, you should do that because it'll make you crazy. <laughs> because here's, here's what happens. You go to a conference and the vision gets bigger and it gets more exciting and it's more important. And then every day you're like, how do I get to that vision? How do I get there? It's near impossible. Here's how you get there in, and this is how you get there systematically. We, every company we work with doesn't use the standard vision statement that's in the market because they don't work. They use client-centric missions. Mm-hmm. So their client-centric mission statement's the only statement. They don't have a mission statement and a core purpose and a this and a that. All that stuff's just noise. Too much. What are you doing? There should be one statement. Like ours is, our client-centric mission is, we help visionary entrepreneurs who can't turn it off by giving them the tools they need to change the world. The change we want to make is entrepreneurs lean into their strengths and build world-changing teams, and we will know we're successful when any entrepreneur who wants to can, change, can build an empire. That's our client-centric mission. That's all we need. Somebody says, what's your core purpose? I say that again. Yeah. Somebody says, what's your elevator pitch? I just what say it again. <laughs> that, that's that's, what we, that's yeah. who we are, right? And so you take that client-centric mission, that's where we're going to end up, and then we break it down into one-year objectives, 90-day targets, 30-day goals, and then we have an entire structure where we make it happen. Because here's what you want. You want every person on your team to know that what they're doing today is going to get you to that client-centric mission. And in most companies, 
That's like a wish. That's a prayer. That's a, a hope. In our organization, we can show you, here's the client-centric mission, here's the one-year objectives, the 90-day goals, the, or sorry, the 90-day targets, the 30-day goals, here's the weekly commitment, and here's what we're doing today, and we know it's going to get there. So we don't just build a bridge. We build a clear, documented, strategic plan that shows everyone in the organization that if you do all of the work you're supposed to do today, we're going to win. Mm-hmm. And if you keep doing it every day, we're going to change the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why the businesses that we work with grow much faster than the average company out there. Mm-hmm. So what is the difference between the traditional planning system and your momentum planning system that you teach your clients? For the personal or yeah. for the business? And the business. The difference with ours is that, well, first, there is no traditional planning system. No. <laughs> what, what traditional planning system is like there? You plan out every day? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the majority of businesses don't have a strategic plan. Less than 1% of yeah. businesses have a strategic plan. And here's the problem. If you don't have a strategic plan as a business owner, you are always the bottleneck. Because mm-hmm. if you don't know where you're going and your team doesn't know where you're going, they are always going to have to check with you. And you're, they're always going to have to get information from you and understand from you. And you're going to have to tell them. And you're going to spend way too much of your time trying to grow the business. What we do is we build a clear strategic plan so the owner is no longer the bottleneck. In fact, the owner, when you don't have a strategic plan, you have to tell everybody what to do every day. Mm -hmm. When you have a forward-looking strategic plan, your team goes out in front of you and you can coach success along the way. It's the difference between what we call transactional management and transformational leadership. Mm -hmm. Transactional management is you tell everybody what to do, you check that it got done, and you tell them what to do again. If you do this every day, you get tired. It will kill you, especially as an entrepreneur. And what happens is people build teams and then they tear them apart. People build companies and then they fall apart because why? They get into to do, check that it got done, tell them what to do, check that it got done, tell them what to do, check that it, and that's horrible. You can hear it in entrepreneurs' language. They say things like, I'm always telling my team what to do. No one ever knows what's happening. I can't figure out how to get everybody going in the same direction at the same time. That's horrible. So what we do is, Forget about that whole transactional management because it's going to drive you crazy and everyone around you crazy. Instead, we have a clear strategic plan. So you have a clear outcome, Mm -hmm. you coach success along the way, and you get massive results. That's it. There's Mm -hmm. the difference. Mm -hmm. You create a strategic plan that tells everyone where you're going, and then as the owner, you can coach people to get there. So instead of telling them what to do, you're coaching them along the way, and everything changes. See, in transformational leadership, you grow your team grows, everybody gets better at what they're doing, and you achieve more. Mm-hmm. It seems like when we grow our business that we also grow our to-do list. Mm-hmm. So what can we do about it? Because there is always so much stuff to do. It seems like you, you always run out of time. Yeah. So you, you, you teach a lot about hiring and delegating. So can you share some tip? Yeah. How you help? Yeah, I actually, I I joke around about to-do lists with entrepreneurs (laughs) because I think to-do lists are a to-die list. (laughs) To-die list. Because there are things on the average entrepreneur's to-do list that are going to be there when they die. Because, you know, how many times have you carried something over and over and over again and it just doesn't get done? So the way that we work with the entrepreneurs that that are in our programs is we show them how to get leverage with a team so that you no longer have this massive to-do list. The entrepreneurs that work with us, they're doing two or three things every day, but they're the things that are going to move the company forward. And 
having this long running to-do list is just an exercise in beating yourself up. And unfortunately, a lot of entrepreneurs do that. We beat ourselves up. We don't give ourselves grace. We write to-do lists because we're, we think that we're motivated by this big long list chasing us. If we can replace that to-do list with the distribution to a team, with having people around us that are helping get things done, then we can get into where we're at our highest and best use. Mm -hmm. And the, the biggest issue for the majority of entrepreneurs out there, me included, is that we aren't doing our highest and best use most of the day. The more we can work towards that, the more we can work towards being as strategic as possible every day, the more that we'll do and the more mm -hmm. we'll create. Mm -hmm. So what are most productive things that you are do doing during the day? For me, like yeah, what is it yeah. right now you, you, that I do yeah, for our company? Yeah. Well, like three things that you are doing. So um, I look at the things that I can do that I don't think anybody else should do. Okay. So I'll give you an example of today. Yeah. So this today you was one of the strategic things of yeah. being yeah. with you and getting this type of exposure. So it, it, on any given day, it might be this with you. It might be a podcast with somebody else mm -hmm. in another part of the world. It might be going on TV. It might be some type of exposure. Mm -hmm. And then where today, given the size of my organization, where I'm most involved is in the direction of our content. Mm -hmm. I've been consulting on our materials and our content for over 20 years. So when it comes to how do we organize it, how do we present it, you know, who's, how, how do we gonna, how are we gonna give it to people? That's mostly high level what I do. Mm -hmm. And then this week we have an event in town. So I'll be teaching the event. So for me, it's what, what are the outward facing activities where I'm getting attention, helping our clients or arranging our content. And that's where I spend 99% of my time. So how do we find out when is the time to hire new people? And to delegate Way them. before you think you need to. Really? The average entrepreneur waits far too long to bring somebody onto their team. And I always tell people, you know, we are evolutionary hunters. We're momentum based beings. Entrepreneurs are hardwired differently than the rest of the world. We learn very little standing still. If we're not active in doing something, we're not learning. And we learn almost nothing alone. You know, I, I look at solopreneurs who say, oh, I'm never going to have a team. And I just feel sorry for them because your entrepreneurial development is in its infancy until you build a team. You are a baby until you build a team. You have very little entrepreneurial knowledge until you build a team. You know, I've, I've been building teams my entire life. I think for me, I, I realized very young that I wasn't good at most things. I'm really not. I'm, you know, I, I joke around with that and people think that I'm making a joke. I'm being very honest. I suck at a lot of stuff. You know, I, I'm dyslexic. I can't spell. I can't write. I have a hard time with math. I have a hard time with, like, if somebody writes something in cursive, I can't even read it. When it comes to calendars, I open a calendar, I get heart palpitations. Electronic. I can't stand like all that stuff. So <laughs> I've always had a team around me that takes care of it. And so I think the average entrepreneur who doesn't have a team doesn't know how much they're giving up because the, the growth cycle for an entrepreneur, I would say 20 or 30% is starting the business and the rest is learning how to lead and motivate people. Mm. Yeah. Many people, many entrepreneurs, they think that they are not born leaders. And really, we, do we have a skill to recruit, to delegate, to monitor? Well, I look at it differently. I think entrepreneurs are not born managers, and yeah, we're not. No, no, we suck no, at managing. Yeah. I mean, 
The average it's entrepreneur with a multi-million dollar business can't even manage their closet, much less like anything else. <laughs> and so when you look at it, most entrepreneurs are terrible managers, but I would say most entrepreneurs are great leaders. Yeah. You know, when you look at, and, and I, I just had this conversation this weekend, I was up at Archangel and one of the other speakers, I didn't get his permission to share this, so I won't use his name, but he is a brilliant speaker. He's one of the top minds when it comes to Facebook advertising and getting attention and getting exposure, and he doesn't have a team. And he and I were talking about, you know, how he doesn't have a team and how, how it's holding him back so much. And I, you know, my job, I believe my job is to convince every entrepreneur they need to build a team, they need to build an organization, they need to build a structure so they can actually give life to the change that they want to make in the world. And I said to him, well, you know, it's a shame you don't have a team because if you don't have an executive assistant, you are one. And he said, what did you say? And I said, well, if you don't have an executive assistant, then you are one. And he's like, and it bothered him. You know, that, that irritated him. And I said, you know, it's, it, if you don't build a team, then you are handicapping yourself for anything that you're going to do in the future. And I explained to him, I, I saw you on stage. And this was, he spoke, we, I spoke at the event, and he spoke at the event. And I said, look, I saw you on stage. You're a natural born leader. He said, oh yeah, I've always known that about myself. I said, do people follow you? He said, yes. I said, when you get up in front of a room, can you motivate them to do things? He said, absolutely. I said, you know, can you convey information in a way that gets people to take action? He said, oh, yes. He said, that's all you need to have a team. We just need to get you out of management activities and move you into leadership activities. And here's how you do that. Instead of having a randomly operated company where you have to manage people, you create a structure. You create a structure when you show up. You create a structure for how you plan. You create a structure for how you meet with your team. And then you show up and you lead. And within a structure, every entrepreneur can be a great leader. Outside of a structure, you have to manage, and that's where we're terrible. I'm a mess. Yep. <laughs> you know the Colby, Colby system. Yeah, I'm not yeah, a big fan, yeah, but I know yeah, it. Yeah. I'm like 10 quick starts. So yeah, you and a lot of other me. entrepreneurs. I'm, not, I'm bad manager too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a, I, I like the Colby system, but I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, yeah. So what, Kathy Colby's what, what do you use? I use the disk. The disk. Oh, yeah. Maybe use the disk also. Yeah, I think, you know, the Colby is an interesting system. Mm -hmm. Kathy Colby, the woman who invented it, I met her and she was so rude and so horrible to the people around her. We were in a production environment <laughs> like this and I watched her just be horrible to everybody around her. And I was like, is she having a bad day? And somebody there was like, nah, she's like this every time. So I, I have dismissed the Colby because if, if the person because who wrote the, yeah, because of her, I don't even want to talk about it. But, and, and I tried to use it. It was a little too confusing. Mm -hmm. I like the disc profile. When you look at the disc, it's been around for 30 years. And I think a lot of people say, oh, it's old. Well, I would say it's proven. You know, there's been more data, more research, more time invested, more reinforcement of the disk profile than anything else. And it's easy to understand and use. Mm -hmm. And so we use the disk profile a ton. How many people you have on your team full time and part time or outside contractors? Full time. We're at eight or nine today on our core team. And then contractors, probably somewhere around maybe double that mm -hmm. or triple mm -hmm. that. And you work from home. Mm hmm. So you have a remote team. Mm -hmm. So how do you meet them? Like you have a structure for mm -hmm. meetings like yeah. every week, every month, a quarter. Can well, you... we have the exact same structure we plan in. Mm -hmm. So once a year we do our annual meeting. Every quarter we do our quarterly meeting. Mm -hmm. Every month we do a monthly meeting. Every week we have a weekly commitments meeting. Mm -hmm. And then we have a daily huddle. 
So how how long they last like this daily, so, daily huddles and weekly? So it's week. interesting that you bring this up. So yeah. the average entrepreneur is spending somewhere between 50 to 75% of their time managing their company and leading their team. Yeah. Somewhere between 50 and 75%. So if you look at the average entrepreneur who works 40 to 60 hours a week, that's somewhere between 1,000 hours on the very low end and 2,250 hours on the high end. 2,250 hours mm -hmm. is more than a full-time job. So yeah. the average entrepreneur is spending a lot of time leading their team. The way we show entrepreneurs how to do it is you have your annual meeting, it's about two hours. Quarterlies are about two hours. Your monthlies are about an hour and a half. Your weeklies usually are about one to two hours. And your daily huddle's 30 minutes. If you add up all of the time involved in our planning structure for both forward planning and communication, it's about 300 hours a year, including all of your preparation time. Okay. So we take people from 1,000 to 2,250 hours to 300. So we have more time to work on some more productive things. Well, and when people ask me, how do you have so much time for your kids? How do you spend so much time with your family? How do you have time to work out? You know, how do you get all of the things you get done? Well, I'm not spending the wasted time that a lot of entrepreneurs spend doing transactional management. Mm -hmm. I never have to say, here's what you need to do. Check that it got done. Here's what you need to do again. That's just not how it works. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We take inexperienced people, bring them onto their t our team, show them our structure, and they thrive. We take experienced people, bring them onto our team, and they're they're more effective than they've ever been in their career. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, what are some of the three, maybe four, key habits that every entrepreneur should develop? Key habits? Yeah. So I call these keystone habits. Keystone habits. Keystone habits, because... And this is part of like my obsessive research throughout my life. You know, when I was younger, I was not very successful. I, uh, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was different than the kids around me. I didn't do well in school. I didn't really know where to turn. So I started reading about successful people and I got obsessive about reading about successful people. I, you know, you, you read a, a few of them, you read biographies, autobiographies, third party accounts. And if you read enough, you start seeing patterns. And so for me, it wasn't just about what habits do I want? It's what habits have successful people used throughout history to be successful? And so I've, I've written products about the keystone habits for entrepreneurs. So we have a product called Momentum Masterclass. And it, it is all of the keystone habits you should have as an entrepreneur to maintain and increase your momentum. So for me, one of the most important and most entrepreneurs don't think about it is hydration. Mm -hmm. And I have a, I have a program yeah. that's $60,000 a year to work with me in a group. There's no one-on-one -on -one contact with me. You're in a group and it's $60,000 a year and we'll show you how to grow your business. We show, we, we do three things. We show people a forward planning structure, a communication system and how to build the infrastructure of the business. We start with water because we are, we show entrepreneurs how to explode their businesses. We worked with a company last July uh, or we started last July about 13 months ago. They were a $2 million a year business. Mm -hmm. In 13 months, they got to $30 million a year. That type of growth is explosive. That type of growth will take over your life. It's confusing. It's, it's difficult to deal with. So we show entrepreneurs the keystone habits that keep you mind, body connected. And water is absolutely water. one of them. We show everybody how to get crazy hydrated. We have a program called GetThirstyNow.com, or it's the 10-day <laughs> day natural thirst challenge. But we, you know, I, I got so obsessed with water that I actually created a program to show people how to drink water without working at it. 
And so the keystone habits, one is water, two is having a morning routine, and three is daily planning. But mm. planning in a way that's not just a to-do list. Planning in a way where you create an intention for the day. You offload where you were uncomfortable the day before, and you actually create momentum moving forward. Yeah. I think one of the biggest issues entrepreneurs have is that we tolerate far too much. What do I mean by that? We put up with too much. We're uncomfortable all the time. We don't admit it. We don't put systems in place to offload what's bothering us. And most entrepreneurs are really good at putting up with stuff because, I mean, every one of us has been in the situation where you don't have enough time, you don't have enough energy, you don't have everything that you should. There's a small light at the end of the tunnel. Everybody around you is like, hey, look out, it's a train. But you keep going towards that light. You bring it towards you, you bring yourself towards it, you finally step through it, and that's where you create your life. That pattern of going against resistance and actually succeeding makes it so we feel like we have to tolerate far more than we should. See, I think most of us are putting up with things we don't like. We're, we have people, places, and things in our life that are taking away our momentum. We're not relentless about making sure everything is moving us forward. And so I always explain to entrepreneurs, you're tolerating too much. And you know, if you want to create massive momentum, you can do one of two things. You can do everything it takes to make momentum happen, which that's what most of us do, or you can just remove all the things from your life that are taking it away and you get it for free. <laughs> oh, great. What, what are some of the key metrics that we should measure as entrepreneurs? There are so many of them, but like one key, I think that you talked about one key metric. Net worth. Net worth. Net worth. Wow. Net worth. Most entrepreneurs don't we track. forget about that. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's scary how many entrepreneurs don't look at their net worth. And one of the biggest issues I've had, you know, I've, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I've worked with hundreds of companies. Right now, we coach about 60 of the fastest growing companies in the country, maybe in the world. And we coach people to increase their net worth. And I think most coaching companies don't, not I think, most coaching companies don't understand no. how to do that. And here's what's so ridiculous. Oh, man, this is a crazy story. So last week I was flying to Canada to go to, up to Archangel. My friend Giovanni Marcico had a big event. And I got on the flight to Canada, and the person who was sitting next to me works at another coaching company, owns mm -hmm. another coaching company that does what we do. And he works with an author who, uh, who's all about scaling up and talks about Rockefeller habits and some other stuff. And mm -hmm. so he's the partner of that author. And we were talking about his business. And Smillion, he has a $4 million business with 33 people. And he's not making money. He's not profitable. And I said, what do you mean? How do you have a $4 million coaching business with 33 people and not make money? He says, he said to me, like very arrogantly, well, I'm building a business to sell it. Every time an entrepreneur tells me that, I'm like, what are you talking about? How do you make decisions in a business if you're not making them around profitability? So, so what is guiding your decision making? The way that we teach people how to build their businesses, you do an analysis around what's going to make you the most money and where do, what do you need to do to grow the business. You look at your profitability, you look at the five core functions of the business, and then you make decisions. If you're trying to build a business to sell it, I don't know how to make those decisions. I don't think anybody does. You're literally building something hoping somebody else sees value in it. The way that I show entrepreneurs how to make money or how to, how to grow businesses, create an incredibly profitable business and take that profit out of the business and put it in your bank account. There's way too many people out there that are working really hard for a mm -hmm. year or five years or 10 years and they've never increased their net worth. You don't know how good an entrepreneur you are until you're debt free. 
then then you see how really incredible you can be. And then being debt free, you will show up different. You will be a different type of entrepreneur. You'll take you'll think different. And then once you get past debt free and you have a million dollars in the bank, then you're a totally different type of entrepreneur. If you feel like you're stuck, you're plateaued, you're not doing everything you want to do, put some money in the bank and see how you change. These guys who are building businesses to sell them, they confuse me because here's the math. I'm going to kill myself, build this asset somebody else might buy someday, and then I'm going to have everything I want. What a joke. Here's my math. I'm going to have everything I want build a business around what I want and make millions of dollars. You tell me which one you want to do. Your, your version. It's crazy the other but way. It's different. You know, you don't hear this type of advice on the market. No, because no. most people don't really know how to grow no. businesses. And here's the difference between me and 99% of business consultants out there. And I don't, you know, I, I used to apologize for sounding so aggressive. I don't apologize anymore. Most consultants suck. And they shouldn't be consultants. They should lose their consulting business because they haven't successfully done what they're telling other people to do. Mm. And when you look at everything I teach, everything I coach, from the way that I talk to people about their families, their relationships, their business, all of it, I do it all myself. And I've done it all myself. I've grown a business to $250 million in my 20s. Katie and I have had over six businesses get to over $10 million. We are independently wealthy. We don't have debt. We, you know, when, when I coach, it's from a place of experience, understanding, and a tremendous amount of making a hypothesis, testing it with myself and clients, and then coming to a conclusion. And when you look at most consultants out there, they're teaching and showing and trying to get people results that they've never gotten themselves. If you are enjoying interviews so far, make sure to follow me on other social media. You will find me on YouTube and Facebook as Million Mori Warrior Family, on Instagram as Smillion Mori, and on LinkedIn and Twitter as Smilian Mori, S-M-I-L-J-A-N-M-O-R-I. I met you at the Russell Branson's Two Comma Club, and I think you are a hidden, like, jeweler. <laughs> really, because, you know, I should meet you before. <laughs> really. <laughs> your, your thinking about building a business is totally different from any other coach that I hired or paid, and I've been in many masterminds I paid lots of money <laughs> <laughs> so I think the next next step <laughs> is to sign up for your mastermind it's funny how often I do a podcast or something somebody yeah. interviews me and then they come back and join one of our programs absolutely I absolutely agree yeah. so let, let's talk about these nine nine levels of the billionaire code sure yeah uh, can you walk us uh, quickly through the the nine levels it's kind of hard. We, to, we can download the, the you can download the billionaire, billionaire code. code so, yeah. so why don't I talk about the structure of it, okay, and yeah. then then people can go download yeah. it because it's kind of tedious to go it's, through yeah, all nine levels. Lot, yeah. But here's what the billionaire code is. When I was reading about successful people, yeah. at the very beginning, when you read the first 10 biographies of successful people, everything looks different. You read 100, it looks even more different, more confusing. But I was convinced that there was patterns there. I was convinced that if I continued to read, I would figure something out. So I obsessed over it. You, you know, you've walked through my house a little bit. You'll notice that in almost every room there's bookcases. It's because we buy books yeah. all the time. And we're always reading and I'm always looking at patterns. And, and one of the patterns that I saw in the lives of successful people is that one, successful people's lives are driven by questions. But periods in our lives are driven by specific questions. And 
I created that list of questions. It was in my original book, The Entrepreneurial Personality yeah. Type. It has the list of questions. And I just kept working with that list over and over and over again. And I saw these clear nine transitions that entrepreneurs went through in order to build their lives. The questions were what drove me. And then I built out the structure around it for the billionaire code. And here's what it is. It is the definitive path to go from zero to over a hundred million dollars and exactly where you should be focused at each level. Because here's the biggest issue with entrepreneurs today. You know, most entrepreneurs are working really hard. They're focusing, they're trying to do the right thing, but they're not working on the right mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. They're working as hard as they can and they're not making progress. Why? Because they're focused on the wrong thing at the wrong time. It doesn't matter how well you do the wrong thing, it's not gonna give you momentum. And so when you look at the billionaire code, you can quickly identify where you are as an entrepreneur, what you should be focused on right now, and what's coming next. And you can see if there's anything you didn't do. So if anybody wants to, they can go to billionairecode.com, download the nine levels, figure out where they are, and it's like an instruction book to create success. What is the entrepreneurial personality type? Can you elaborate on this? Sure. You have the whole manifesto. <laughs> I like it very much. Sure. So, you know, when I was younger and I, and I read about successful people, I thought I was going to find something completely different than what I did. I was so different than the people around me. I never thought I would be successful. And then I went and started reading about successful people. And Einstein didn't read until he was four. You know, Newton was the guy who discovered gravity sitting underneath an apple tree. What we don't tell about the story is that he was underneath the apple tree because he was antisocial. Pythagoras went to his death instead of saying, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. They killed him. Socrates walked into the middle of a field and drank poison instead of telling everybody they were right. Like throughout history, the, the people who have changed the world, the people who have made things happen have been those that are different and misunderstood and frustrated and restlessly agitated. And the people who make things happen are often the ones that look like they're never going to. And so the more that I researched success, the more that I looked at successful people, the more I started realizing that the qualities that create success are consistent. And the entrepreneurial personality type in my belief system is the evolutionary hunter. When you look at the world, we are that small segment of the population that has been evolutionarily programmed biogenetically, epigenetically for millions of years to get up every morning and go on the hunt. And every one of us is compelled to get up and go do something. And so when I look at the, the entrepreneur, I just don't see a position that we hold in the world of business owner. What I see is it's who we are. Mm -hmm. We are evolutionary hunters. We can't turn it off. You ask an it's entrepreneur, right? You can't, you can't. And, and there's a reason. Here's why we can't turn it off. You know, the rest of the world can. The rest of the world calls in sick. Have you ever called in sick on your business? <laughs> Can you imagine saying, hey, I can't come in today for my business? No. The rest of the world loves it when they get sick. They're yeah. like a day off. <laughs> the rest do. of the world is waiting for retirement so they can stop doing anything. Entrepreneurs don't even understand what retirement means. Why? Because we are biologically programmed, chemically programmed to go on the hunt. It is a survival instinct. Mm. Because when you look at how the fact that, that the human race has survived for thousands of years, we've survived because we went out and hunted. We are that small segment of the population that gets up in the morning, goes out into the future, creates a new reality, comes back to the present and insists it becomes real. The rest of the world doesn't do this, Million. The rest of the world wants everything to stay the same. They wanna be average, they follow trends, they wanna dress like everybody else. They're competing with their neighbors. Entrepreneurs are clearly 
the only source of consistent positive human evolution and we always will be. And the reason that I share the entrepreneurial personality type is that I think that everyone like us has mm -hmm. felt different and awkward and alone and like a party of one. We felt like there was nowhere for us to belong. A lot of entrepreneurs, people like you and I, we end up in jail or in an early grave or checking out or doing drugs because we feel so different that we can't figure out where to belong. And the reality is that if you felt different or awkward or alone, I get a little emotional about this because like I've it. dealt with so many people like that it. have been there. But if you felt different or awkward or alone for any reason and you know you can't turn it off, I want you to think back through history to anyone you remember, anyone who matters to be remembered. And I want you to know they were just like us. And when you think about anyone in your life who's mattered, anyone you think about who's changed your life, when you think about who you've read about or thought about or the people throughout history who've called out to you and you know who they are for you, I want you to know that's not just people who are important to you. That is your tribe. That is who you are. That is your birthright. We were put on this planet to get up every day and make this world a better place. And if that means you go out and you build a business and you build a team and you make hundreds of millions of dollars, that's exactly what we're here for. That is your birthright. So we don't need to feel guilty about it. Fuck no. Yeah. And if we ever feel guilty, we should get over it as fast as we can, because that's the rest of society imposing their limitations yeah. on us. And you know what it Slow feels like. Down. Slow down. Stop talking. Stop getting what so aggressive. What's wrong with you? Why do you need to do so much? You know what? That's just the rest of the world getting in our way. And here's in, in, in entrepreneurs have always been judged for our behaviors in our lifetime, but remembered for our accomplishments. Focus on your accomplishments and let everybody judge your behaviors. <laughs> and not impressing others. <laughs> Who cares? You mentioned a couple of times your childhood. You were different. Can you, can you share some personal challenge from the childhood that made you who you are today? Oh man. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to talk about my childhood without talking about challenges. I was terrible in school. I had a really hard time sitting still. I still do. I had a hard time following directions and paying attention and doing all the things that are supposed to make you successful as a kid. I just wasn't good at any of them. And I was so different than other kids that, you know, adults would say things like, Oh, hey, look, there's Jennifer and Johnny and Alex. And I would hear it. I would know that they were saying that. And so, most of my childhood was an exercise in staying out of the way and trying not to be noticed, but it never worked. And so I think, you know, when I look at who I was as a kid and how it created who I am, if, if I hadn't felt as uncomfortable as I did, if I wasn't as confused as I was, I probably wouldn't have done all the research that I did and all the reading and all the obsessive behaviors around creating who I am today. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at successful people throughout history, it's the same thing. You know, Thomas Edison, one of the most amazing men in human history. It's hard to argue that, that, like, you can argue there's other amazing men, but it's hard to say there's men who are more amazing than Thomas Edison. You can argue that there's people who match his stature, like Michelangelo or Da Vinci, or they were on his level, but Edison was incredible. He created the light bulb. Like he went into his garage in a time and place where it was unheard of and he said he was going to turn night into day. How crazy is that? Thomas Edison was sent home from school at five years old for being dumb. 
That's what we need to look at. That's how, that's all we need to understand. If anybody watching this has had a kid that, that the school is telling you there's a problem with them sitting in class, make an appointment with the school and go tell them they have a teaching disorder. Because the kid who doesn't learn like everyone else, talk like everyone else, walk like everyone else is the kid who's going to go change the world. Wow. This is so powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look back, how would you get to where you are right now uh, in half time? Oh, I could do it in way less than half the time. Oh, really? <laughs> I would take the frameworks and structure that I have today and apply it 20 years ago. I've been working on this stuff since I was in my teens. And when I was in my 20s, I started a consultancy, an international consultancy, where we worked with companies um, all over the world. And we did business in the U.S. and Latin America. And I got to work on a lot of the structures that I have today. But the difference for me, I mean, when you say, how would you get there half the time? If I could go back to 21... Mm -hmm with the frameworks and planning system and structure I have today, I'd get there in a couple of years, not, not half the time. What advice would you give to, to yourself at 21 years old now, if you look back? Focus on systems and process and habit and routine, because that's all that changes you. Mm, very powerful. Yeah. Uh, and quit looking for like the one thing that's going to make everything better, because it's not there. It's not there. It's a combination of a lot we, of things. We always have this uh, wish that uh, we will not work so much. Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't work that much. You know, I don't, yeah, I, see I don't, you on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like most of what I do is work. Yeah. And, um, I don't think that most of the people who work with me would say that most of what they do is work. Oh man, it's raining mm -hmm. like crazy. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't do this outside. Yes. Um, <laughs> that would be a huge problem. <laughs> that would have been disastrous. Gosh, it's like, it's a monsoon out there. Um, but so, you know, I, I think, As entrepreneurs, we, we say things like, I wish I didn't work that much. But the reality is, is you want to work. Yeah. We yeah, all want to work. Yeah, I like to work. <laughs> yeah. We all love what we do. And so for me, it's not, it's not that we don't want to work so much. I think it's that we don't want to work without being effective. Mm -hmm. Because for people like us, if we can work every day and create a massive effect in the world, we won't stop. Mm -hmm. A couple of days ago, I got an email from Russell. And inside the, 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 there was a question. You suddenly lose all your money. Sure. You know, you, your name, your reputation, your following, GB partners, your guru status. The only thing you have is your knowledge, marketing know-how, laptop, Wi-Fi. What would you do to save yourself? For me? Yeah. If I had to, like, that's the Plato or Plomo question. Yeah, something. So yeah. I'm one of the coaches for the program yeah. that Russell's yeah, yeah. doing that for. And... I love Russell. He's, he's a good friend of mine. I was just up in, in Boise and, and in fact, we just put out a video blog yeah, this morning on Sharpen TV. So you saw <laughs> me hanging out yeah. with him. And if I was in that situation, actually, you know what? I was in that situation. Mm. I was in 2007. I lost everything. What? My wife, so in my 20s, I ran a consultancy. And When I was, when I met Katie at about 32 years old, I started selling that consultancy. We sold it in the early 2000s. We built a real estate company and I took the money that I made in that company and we built a massive real estate empire in South Florida. We had an acquisitions firm. We had a property management company. I was a mortgage broker. Katie was a real estate agent. We were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month. We had a multi-million dollar massive, well, tens of million dollar pro portfolio. We had properties all over South Florida. And in 2007, the market crashed and we lost everything. Smillion, we went from making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to making nothing, like zero, not a penny. 
we had a five or six month period where nothing came in because the market shut down so fast and so aggressively. Our properties lost all of their value so fast. And we had a, we had a, just to give you an idea, we had four condos in a place called Stonebridge Garden, Florida's, Florida, and we owned them somewhere between one hundred and fifty and one hundred eighty thousand dollars value, and the loans we had on them were eighty to ninety thousand dollars. The that those properties went from one hundred and fifty to one hundred eighty thousand dollars in value down to fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand. So we lost everything. So I've had that moment. I've had the moment where we were bankrupt. We could barely afford the lawyers to make, to go bankrupt, and what we did, what and, and I had no credibility in the market that I was in because we were going bankrupt, and the market I was in was imploding. And Katie and I, after a couple weeks of like trying to figure out what to do, we created a product, and it was called the Certified Distressed Property Expert. It's exactly what Russell talks about doing. We I went out and I interviewed real estate agents. We created this product for the foreclosure market. Here I was getting foreclosed on. We created this product to help real estate agents in foreclosure. We created a sales letter and I went out and started selling it. And then the first year of bank, we were bankrupt with no money coming in. The first year we made about $100,000. The second year we made about $500,000. The third year we made $7.2 million. The fourth year we made 10 million. Mm. And we were liquid millionaires within 12 months of going bankrupt. And the way that we did that was by putting a product in the market, going out and selling it, one product, one funnel, one offer, all the way to a million and beyond. And in 2007, we were bankrupt. In 2011, we were the 21st fastest growing company in the country. So I've had that moment. I've been there. It's not theory for me. I've done Mm -hmm. it. And we went from nothing to getting back to millionaires, and then we went way beyond that. In fact, the product that we put out, the CDPE, between that product and a continuity product that we introduced, we did about $70 million at over 35% margin. Wow. So what lessons did you get from this experience in 2007? It doesn't really matter what's going on in your life as long as you find an opportunity and just Mm -hmm. focus on it. Mm-hmm. And I think far too often as entrepreneurs, we want to look at what we lost or what we don't have or what somebody else is doing or, you know, the images around us. And the, then and I don't think we spend enough time focused on the opportunity we actually have. You know, Katie, when you look at Katie and I back then, we didn't we, we didn't didn't look like we had opportunity. We had no money. We had to, we didn't sell our house. We lost our house. I didn't sell my car. I gave the keys back to the dealership. And it looked like we should just give up and go get jobs. But the biggest lesson I learned was if you can find an opportunity and you focus on it, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of all of that, we should not have been able to create success, but we did. And I think the, the, one of the biggest, most important parts of that was that Katie and I were aligned and that we didn't take it out on each other. And, you know, every night when we laid in bed, Katie would make us both say three things we were grateful for which there was some nights where she would say, okay, let's say what we're grateful for. And I wanted to tell her like, get that, you know, I don't want to say anything right now. I'm so frustrated, but we did it every night. And I think it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter where you're starting from. It doesn't matter what your diagnosis is, what disease you have, how much little money you have, how little time you have, any of those things. Somebody like us has been in that situation, overcome it and gone on to change the world. So your, your current situation doesn't matter. It's where are you focused and where are you going? You can create your own reality. Yeah. It's great that you stayed together with your wife. Many, many It made us stronger. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, it made us definitely a lot mm-hmm. stronger. Right. Uh, what are some of the beliefs that you have about success? Just in general? Yeah. What is success for you? Um, you, you know, I think, I think, I think here's, here's what I think is the biggest issue with, with our feelings about success as mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. We think success is a destination. It's like success is the Lamborghini. Success is a million dollars yeah. in the bank. Success is getting a bigger house. Success is having a huge following. Success is when I finally have a $10 million company, whatever it is. There's no such thing. There is no destination that will make an entrepreneur feel successful. You know this. Because here's what happens. We set a goal and we approach that goal. And as we get closer to it, it loses importance and it doesn't matter anymore. Right? And you know what we do? Then we're like, oh, it didn't work. I need to set a bigger goal. Then we set a bigger goal and we start going towards it and it loses importance as we get there. So I think for, for me, the biggest reality about success that is not talked about in the entrepreneurial world is that success is being on a journey. Mm -hmm. Success is achieving on a daily basis. Success is feeling like you're doing what you should be doing in the world. It's not a destination because I've had the cars and the money and the houses and everything you see here is paid for, but that's not success. Success is the fact that I'm still doing it, that I'm on the journey, that I'm excited about what I do every day, Mm -hmm. that I'm excited about the effect that I have. And so for all of us, We should stop trying to create a destination and create a system and a structure and a process Mm -hmm. in our life so that we're excited about the journey that we're on every single day. Because I think far too many people are doing this this massive mistake. I'm going to sacrifice today for success tomorrow. Well, you might die. Let's be real. Mm. You might die. So are you going to be that guy who sacrifices all the time right up until you die? Or are you going to have an incredible life right now, starting today, by putting yourself on a journey, by getting excited about what you're doing, by understanding who you are, by making an effect every day? Success is a process. It's not a destination. Wow. Some of the most depressed people I've ever met in my life are ones who have just sold their company for a huge number. (laughs) I did it when I was in my 20s, or when I was in, in my 30s. When I met Katie, I sold my consultancy. And... To the people around me, that was a massive success. It was like, wow, look, yeah, like you made it. You sold your company. That's it. Here's what it was for real. On Monday, I was incredibly important. Everybody was calling me. I had a team. I had people who needed me. I had an organization. I was making things happen. The next day, I had a check. No noise. Everything was gone. All the the significance was gone. I thought I was going to retire. I remember telling Katie, you know, this is going to be enough money that I can just retire. I'm going to be 32. I'll figure out something to do. You know, we're just getting together. We're going to build this relationship. It was the longest six weeks of my life. I tried to stay retired and I couldn't. I ended up like doing deals on the side and like sneaking in business. (laughs) And I went out and bought a house. Like I didn't, I was like buying properties and trying to figure out something to do. And that's how we started the real estate business because there is no such thing as a success destination for any entrepreneur. Like we will do things that make us feel more successful. But if you think you're going to arrive someday at success, the faster you figure out that doesn't exist, the easier your life will be. Mm, that's wonderful. Any book that you would recommend to our followers? Absolutely. I mean, I would recommend my book, Absolutely. The Entrepreneurial Personality yeah. Type. Beyond that, If you're growing a business, you know, I have some obscure recommendations. Everybody who works with me reads the same books. Mm -hmm. 
one of the first ones that I have everybody read is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon yeah. Hill. If you haven't read it five or six times and you haven't really read it, if you don't know what the secret is, then you haven't read it enough. Mm -hmm. And I actually, in the safe over there, I have a first edition Think and Grow wow. Rich. Yeah, it's really cool. Katie got it for me for my birthday a few like years ago. See. It's so awesome. You can feel it. It vibrates. And... That's like my go-to book, but I have a list of books that I recommend to every entrepreneur. You learn the theory of constraints through, through learning or reading The Goal by Eli Goldratt. And so The Goal is an incredible book, hard to read for the first 60 pages. That's one that I have everybody read. Another one's called The Highest Goal. It's by Michael Ray, the guy who did the Stanford Creativity Product or Project. The Goal will show you theory of constraints in your business. The Highest Goal will show you where you are motivated for your life. I have everybody in my programs read Tribes by Seth Godin. Because if you're building a business without building a tribe, you're doing it wrong. And building a movement is what we should really be doing. So everybody reads tribes. I have everybody read a book by Dave Ramsey called Total Money Makeover. It's about how to live your life financially, mm -hmm. conservatively, so that you can do a lot more in the world. I think those are the main ones. Oh, and the book Influence by Robert Cialdini. Cialdini. I saw the book. Yeah. I give away, away to the I give away a lot of copies of that book. <laughs> I checked them. <laughs> that book's awesome. Yeah, Cialdini is incredible. Okay, you will get the resources uh, in our show notes. What about some tools and productivity apps that you use or something that is making your life easier? You, you, you mentioned you don't like these online planners. Yeah, you know. What do you use? You know that commercial where they're like, there's an app for that? Well, I always ask the question, is there not an app for that? Because I think today we are so controlled by these devices that most people can't live without it. Mm -hmm. For me, you know, my phone's an accessory, but it's not part, like, it's not the major focus of my life. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody says, what's the most important app that you use? I say paper and pen. Paper and pen. We have way too much electronics around us. We have way too much confusion, way too much complexity. When you look at how most people try to build a business today, mm -hmm. they first have to learn Trello or Asana mm -hmm. or some project management crap that they think they need to actually run a business. I've grown hundreds of millions of dollars in businesses. I've grown billions of dollars in value for my clients. None of that has been through an app. We've used paper, pencil, spreadsheets, and documents. And what do you use with your team? Paper, pencil, spreadsheets, and documents. All these reports, weekly, monthly, yearly. Those are all in documents and slides. Or sorry, documents and sheets. So we use Google Sheets and Google Docs. We have minimum effective dose, simplest way to run it. And it works. It and works. so I, I'm not very app focused or software driven at all. Mm -hmm. We do have automation in our company, but when it comes to planning and understanding where we're going to go next and what we're going to do, if you go up to my office right now, there's a ton of written stuff all over the place. Great, great share. I, I think I think I, far more entrepreneurs need to take out a pen yeah. and write out their plans and then look at the computer. Mm -hmm. There's a there's something that happens when we actually write. It's proven that the chemical composure of our brain actually changes. It changes how we look at things when we write. It changes how we focus. It changes yeah. how we plan. And so for me, get rid of the apps, get a pen. So there is nothing wrong with me. I still do my planning on, on paperwork. There's nothing wrong with you and you're not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> one, maybe last question. We are already one hour. <laughs> If you only have five seconds, five seconds to live, what message would you send to your kids that would stay with them forever? There is nothing What? wrong with you and you're not alone. There is nothing wrong with you and you are not alone. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the statement that my book closes with. 
this is my absolute 100% belief is that there is nothing wrong with you and you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And I say that because when you look at history, history has proven that it doesn't matter what you're up against. It doesn't matter what you've been diagnosed with. It doesn't matter what's wrong with you, what you think is wrong with you, what people have told you. It doesn't matter what you're missing or what type of handicap or disability you have. It doesn't matter what you didn't get in life or where you showed up. Someone has been in your situation, gone on to change the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that for people like us, we always feel like we're doing something wrong or there is something wrong with us or we are alone and we're isolated and we really aren't. I look at my friend John Morrow, who is completely paralyzed, his entire body. He can't move anything but his face. He navigates the entire world by just being able to move this, and honestly, it doesn't move very well. And the rest of the time, he's in a wheelchair and he can't really move. He operates a multi-million dollar company with his voice. He drives a, a wheelchair around by blowing into a straw. He blows soft and, and soft out to go to the left. He blows hard out to go to the right. He sucks in to go backwards. He blows out hard for it to go. I mean, think about how hard that is. But if you're walking along with John and talking to him, you forget he's in a chair because there's nothing wrong with him and he's not alone. My friend Sean Stevenson is two and a half feet tall. And when he was Sean, younger, yeah, <laughs> Sean's a good friend of mine. It's fun. Sean's hilarious. Yeah. And when you look at him, you know, when he was younger, he would sneeze and break bones. So yeah. if he sneezed, his ribs would break. And he was in excruciating pain all the time. Sean has gone on to be one of the leading public speaking trainers in the world. The guy can't walk, but he's training public speakers from a wheelchair. And he sent me a message uh, a couple weeks ago that he just had his $10,000 speaker training. He calls it the 10K speaker training. And he had 150 people in the room. Here's a guy who's two and a half feet tall. That's a $1.5 million room. So if Sean can do it, so can you. Everybody can do it. You know, and, and when I, I shared that story of John Morrow with my clients and told them, you know, here's a guy who's running a multi-million dollar business with his face. And... Not only that, he doesn't just run his business, he has to have people take care of everything, dress him, feed him, shave him, he can't do anything. You, you go out to lunch with John and there's a woman sitting there feeding him. And so you look at how crazy is it that that's how he has to live, and then there's entrepreneurs who have, they can walk, they can move, they can do everything that, that they need to do, and they feel like there's something wrong with them. So if I had five seconds to tell my kids something, I would reinforce that. I've told them that since, since they were little. And I think that if that's your mantra for life, there's nothing wrong with me and I'm not alone, you're gonna do okay. Oh, great. I want to have um, Sean also on my show. He's uh, from Phoenix. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I will have him on show in October probably. Yeah, he's a good friend yeah. of mine. Yeah. He's a great guy. Where can we find more information about you? Like we have the billionaire code. Billionairecode.com. Billionairecode.com. And then I have a podcast. Yeah. It's not an interview podcast. It's just me. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Thank That's you. A it, lot of content. Yeah, lots. a lot of. We do six episodes a week. Yeah. They're anywhere from about seven minutes on the low end to 20 minutes on yeah. the high end. And if you go to MomentumPodcast.com, you can check it out. Internationally, if you're not on iTunes and you can't get it through iTunes, you can go to MomentumPodcast.tv. Mm -hmm. And it's on YouTube. We have the mm -hmm. entire podcast yeah. on YouTube. And then you can also go to Sharfin.tv. So my last name TV, mm -hmm. And that's where we have our video blog. Okay. We will put all the resources in our show notes. So let me finish with these words. All the entrepreneurs out there want to be future entrepreneurs. You are not alone and there is nothing wrong with you. Thank you, Alex, uh, for taking some precious time from your life, personal life. And I hope that we meet soon. Yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. 
Resources from this interview are available online. Visit www.warriorfamily.com and download the free book Lessons from Millionaires with all the resources mentioned in the interview. If you want to be a warrior who has it all, visit www.warriorfamily.com and download my ebooks for free. Learn all about warrior productivity, habits, mindset, marketing and sales strategies, confidence boosters and many other things. I promise that you won't be disappointed. More valuable content is waiting for you on my social media profiles. Instagram, Smillion Mori, YouTube and Facebook, Smillion Mori, Warrior Family, Twitter, Smillion Mori, and LinkedIn, Smillion Mori.